This week, we wanted to take a minute to talk to you about Patreon. You guys probably hear us talking about it in every show when we thank our newest supporters. But what exactly is Patreon? Patreon is an exclusive platform that allows fans to pay their favourite creators a monthly amount in exchange for exclusive access and extra content. And we have so much to offer you over there. When you sign up to our most popular tier, you get access to a full-length bonus episode of Seeing Red released on the last Friday of every month. You get access to our brand new fortnightly Patreon-exclusive podcast, Crime Wave, in which we discuss topical true crime stories making the news. But that's not all. You also get access to our True Crime Book Club, which meets virtually every three months. We're currently reading Linda Calvey's Black Widow, which I am loving. And you gain entry into our exclusive competitions. Yes, spoiler alert, I'm really enjoying reading the book as well. And I'm not going to give away too much because obviously we'll be discussing it at book club. But I'm also hating it. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to discuss this on the 21st. Absolutely. And there's loads of other benefits too, like early release ad and sponsor-free episodes of Seeing Red, access to our monthly blog posts, and a mid and end of season roundup of the show. And all of this costs less than the price of a pint of petrol. Just for £3.50 a month, not only do you get all of this extra content, but you also get an exclusive Seeing Red postcard signed by us and some stickers. There's no minimum commitment and all of the bonus content can be streamed through the Patreon app so you can listen to it anytime, anyplace and some podcast providers like Apple Podcasts even allow you to stream the bonus content through their platform so you can listen to it in exactly the same way as you listen to our weekly episodes. It just takes two minutes to sign up on Patreon and when you do you'll find that you've opened yourself up to a whole new world of seeing red. So head over to patreon.com forward slash seeingredpodcast. There's a direct link in the show notes as well. That's patreon.com forward slash seeingredpodcast. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a UK true crime podcast. I'm Mark. (laughs) And I'm Bethan. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again this week. Yeah, we hope you're all good. Uh, Thank you to our newest Patreon supporters. So that's Ali Divine Carberry and Abby. If you would like to join these guys, then just head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. And um, thank you very much anybody who is on our social media as well. We've been having loads of good conversations and chats about stuff over on Facebook and Instagram and also on Patreon as well. So please keep it coming. Yeah, we love um, we love hearing from you and your thoughts on the different episodes that we do and also different crimes that are happening right now as well. And the Facebook group's great for that, isn't it? We've got, um, I think, over a thousand people on, on the newest version of that group since the last one got shut down. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, we have an, a, a lot of uh, discussions on there. It's uh, quite a vibrant group, isn't it? Yeah, it's good fun. Life hadn't been an easy ride for Lisa Bennett. Originally from Burton-on-Trent, a market town in Staffordshire, she'd moved to the glamorous city of Birmingham in her 30s. And by 39, she had battled addictions to both heroin and cocaine, and she'd also spent time in prison. With her milestone 40th birthday now fast approaching, Lisa's life hadn't turned out the way she had planned. 
whilst her old school friends were leading sedate suburban lives, holding down jobs and raising families, Lisa found herself homeless and helpless. She had really hit rock bottom and actually she vowed to turn her life around at this point. And I think we've mentioned it a million times, haven't we? But how easy it would be for anybody for your life to go the wrong way. And it makes me so sad. And the fact that she's now kind of actually thinking, you know, I'm going to turn my life around. She's found herself homeless and battling these addictions. And I saw a really poignant thing the other day, which said, um, like when you treat um, like alcoholism or when you treat an addiction, you don't treat the addiction, you treat childhood trauma, you treat abuse, you treat negative you treat all these things that sit behind it and it really hit home I thought to myself we see this so often on the show that people's lives can just spiral I think I think my my thinking around addiction was totally different before we did this show uh, because we, we have a lot of people who have substance abuse issues that we feature in our episodes. It's like pretty much every week. And um, I used to, yeah, I used to kind of look down on, on people that were addicted to heroin, for example. I'd call them a junkie, not to their face. That would have been extremely rude. And I just didn't have that understanding. And now I, I really do understand that it's it's really not their fault. It's an absolute illness. And I'm not religious but I always kind of say this there but for the grace of God go I as, as you say if um, if either of us took a wrong turn it could have been us so we're very lucky and fortunate that we had the backgrounds that we had and the upbringings that we had that that didn't put us on this path and um, I, I don't know too much about Lisa's background but her mom says her mom Janet says that she just kind of took a wrong path and got in with the wrong people and she was a bit vulnerable and that path took her towards an addiction to heroin and cocaine and prison time as well so it's incredibly sad I really feel for her So as I said, Lisa had vowed to turn her life around and this was actually just after her 39th birthday. But her 40th was, of course, fast approaching. So I think that was partly what it was. So I kind of sympathise because I'm, I'm in that boat. And um, this was in early 2013. And, and yeah, Lisa set about changing her life for the better. And she decided to get in touch with a woman that she had met in prison who lived locally to her. Kathleen Salmond was six years Lisa's junior, but she felt protective towards her and the pair had a lot in common. Both had battled addictions and both had endured a tough life. Kathleen had spent most of her childhood in care and in adulthood she kind of lurched from one abusive relationship to the next and by the time she met Lisa in prison she had convictions for assault, battery, burglary and robbery. And I think all of those were linked to her addiction to to drugs. Now, despite being younger than Lisa, Kathleen did take her under her wing and she offered her a place to stay. Kathleen at this time was living with her boyfriend, Kevin Flanagan, in a ground floor flat in Wheelie Castle, a suburban district in southwest Birmingham. Upon moving in with the pair, Lisa engaged with various support services in the local area in a bid to finally get clean. With the support of her GP, she enrolled on a heroin withdrawal programme and began taking the heroin withdrawal substitute Subutex, which she would collect daily from her local pharmacy. And for a brief time, it looked as though a new life was within Lisa's grasp at last. A life without drugs, a life filled with friends and opportunities. But sadly, it wasn't to be. I feel so sad listening to this because she's really, really trying. And I think it's it's easier isn't it to kind of judge somebody if they don't even try and they just 
deal do you know they just kind of go well this is it and it's so much sadder that she's really kind of gone right I'm gonna get on to like getting off heroin I'm gonna do this properly by going to the GP and getting the support services yeah she was engaged with loads of different organizations to support her in coming off heroin and I think going to prison had been a real wake-up call for her and um, yeah with her 40th birthday on the horizon it's kind of a, a case of well they say life begins at 40 let's make that happen and I've kind of messed up my life up until this point but I could have another 40 years where it's quite normal and it's not too late to meet somebody and have a family and get a job all of those things were possible and within her grasp. So not long after moving in with Kathleen and her boyfriend Kevin, Lisa's life very sadly began to spiral out of control. Despite her best intentions to get clean, she was pulled back to the dark side by Kathleen and Kevin, whose drug use continued unabated at this time. And I suppose when you're homeless, you've got no option of to where you're going to live. If someone offers you somewhere to live and they're they're still taking drugs, well, what are you going to choose? Still be on the streets or move in and, and yeah. hope that you can still continue your recovery like anybody with without you know from looking in you're going to go well that's not going to work don't move in with them but she wouldn't have had felt like she had any other choice would she no and this was only supposed to be a bit of a stopgap. it wasn't going to be a long-term arrangement it would have been whilst lisa waited for a, a home of her own so um so yeah it wouldn't have been for the long term but what's the alternative living on the streets or living with with two addicts who are very much continuing with their drug use while you're you're trying to come off so yeah it's um it was the the better of two evils i think so as i said kevin and kathleen's drug use did continue uh, when lisa moved in with them and of course before long lisa was once again taking heroin and in the weeks that followed her presentation and lifestyle deteriorated rapidly she became increasingly subdued and unkempt and she had also pawned all of her jewelry at this point as well as a mobile phone in order to fund her habit and it wasn't just her habit that she was paying for Due to various health issues, Lisa was in receipt of around £230 worth of benefits a week. And to fellow addicts Kathleen and Kevin, Lisa was their cash cow. Oh my gosh, this just gets worse and worse. Yeah, they're really abused, well, really taking advantage of, of her. So yeah, despite Kathleen's outwardly altruistic motives in allowing Lisa to come and live with her and Kevin at their flat, she was intent on using and abusing Lisa from the very outset. She had Lisa pinned as vulnerable and she knew that she would be able to take advantage of her kind nature for her and Kevin's benefit. As I said, not long after moving in with Kathleen and Kevin, Lisa's life spiralled into an abyss of drug addiction despite those initial attempts to get clean. Together, the three of them would spend their days and nights taking drugs, drinking alcohol and shoplifting in order to fund their addictions. Despite returning to drugs, Lisa did continue to visit a pharmacy every day in order to take her daily dose of Subutex. And to be fair, this could have been motivated by addiction and abuse because Subutex will... It has the propensity to be abused, of course, even though it is a substitute for heroin. But I do wonder if Lisa was actually still trying to come off heroin at this point. And I can all almost picture her every morning setting out with good intentions not to use that day, going to the pharmacy to take the Subutex. But then basically all of that fall into pieces when she gets home, sees Kathleen and Kevin shooting up and and joins in with them. It, it would just be too difficult, but I do wonder if she was really still trying at this point. 
Yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. And I think that that could be such a real possibility. Because if you haven't, you know, even if you've got the best intentions, if the people around you aren't supporting you, it's just me so easy to just fall back down that hole. And if she's going every day, yes, there's going to be an element of addiction to the subutex. But equally, if she's got heroin available to her, which is better, and I'm sure heroin would be better than subutex. So she must have wanted to still get clean. Yeah, and she she would have been medically reliant on subutex because it would be weaning her off yeah, uh, of the, the heroin and the, all the awful withdrawal symptoms. So, um, And yeah, you have to go to the pharmacy and take it there in the presence of a pharmacist or a, a technician, I guess, because uh, if you have it and take it away, you could sell it on the streets, essentially. Mm. So that's why you have to go there every single day to, to take it. And she was still doing that. And that's quite an inconvenience when you're leading a bit of a chaotic lifestyle. It's quite an inconvenience to have to go somewhere that's not just down the road to, to go to a pharmacy, queue up and take this. Uh, so I, I do wonder if she was still hanging on to the hope of, of getting clean. You know, maybe it was, you know, well, I'll, I'll try again today and it just didn't happen. Also, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Kathleen and Kevin were deliberately sabotaging Lisa's attempts to get clean, mm-hmm. if she was still trying to get clean. Because ultimately, if Lisa was loaded up on heroin, she would be easier to take advantage of. Of course she would. Exactly. On Thursday the 9th of May, Lisa and Kathleen visited nearby Selly Oak. They went to the pharmacy where Lisa was administered with her daily dose of Subutex and then proceeded to go shoplifting before returning home later that day. In the days that followed, Lisa stopped making those daily trips to that pharmacy. She stopped engaging with all of the support services that she was still utilising and she sent only sporadic text messages to her mum Janet. She then phoned the Department of Work and Pensions on the 12th of May to ask for her benefits to be paid into Kathleen's account, advising the DWP representative that she was having problems with her existing bank account. And bar a few random text messages to her mum over the following couple of weeks, Lisa then seemingly vanished into thin air. Lisa's mum Janet knew of her daughter's troubles and she did her very best to help her and although contacts could be sporadic at times she knew her daughter inside out so that's why on the 22nd of May she went to the police to report her suspicions over those text messages that she had received from her daughter. She was convinced that the text messages pertaining to be from Lisa were being written by someone pretending to be her and fearful that something had happened to her daughter, she pressed the police to launch a missing persons inquiry, which I think Goodness was totally the mom. right thing to do. Yeah, yeah Janet's amazing in all of this. And yeah, Janet knew her daughter inside out. She knew something was up. We've talked about this lots recently, haven't we? And like knowing somebody, that instinct is like, it's better that you go to the police and you report your suspicions and you're wrong than you just keep quiet and you don't say anything because actually you should listen to your gut. Yeah, I think it's so important. We so many times don't listen to our gut instinct, do we? And we let our brain take over or our heart take over. But sometimes there is just that sixth sense that you can't put your finger on it, but you know that something's wrong. And um, it's really important to follow up on that. And I'm so pleased that, that Janet did. And she really pushed the police to to launch a missing persons inquiry. And yeah, she, she knew um, Lisa and she knew the lifestyle that Lisa was leading. And I think she realised that that carried with it a great risk. So yeah, I think actually 
actually Janet was right to be worried at this point. The police took Janet's suspicions very seriously and began a thorough investigation into Lisa's whereabouts. Over the following eight months, still with no sign of Lisa, they questioned friends and associates, but she had lived a nomadic life in the months following her release from prison and leading up to her disappearance. And I have to say, despite all of the research I've done, that there isn't an awful lot about this case. But I don't know, I wasn't able to find out whether Kathleen and Kevin were actually questioned during that initial eight-month investigation following Lisa's disappearance. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because, like, did anybody know that that's where she was living? Or Exactly. I don't know how long she'd lived with them. She might have yeah. only lived with them for two weeks, just crashing on their sofa. She she didn't have many friends. Uh, she might have been lying to her support workers and not telling them where she was living. So I just don't know. The only thing that worries me is, though, is she's asked for her benefits to be paid into someone else's account. So would the police not look into something like that and then say, what's the name of this person? I, I don't know. Is that Maybe that's with the hindsight. I'm not sure. I I think that's hindsight. I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a moment because I I couldn't reconcile that. And I thought if they knew that information at the time, they could have investigated a, a little bit further. Of course, these calls are recorded as well. So they could have listened to the person have what was essentially quite a lengthy conversation with this representative from DWP. And they could have maybe played that recording to Janet and said, you know, is, is this Lisa? Mm. And um, I've listened to the re- some of the recording and I'll, I'll come on to that actually a bit later on as well, because it's, it's fascinating and it, it tells us quite a lot, actually. So... After a thorough investigation by West Midlands Police, in February 2014, they held a press conference and this was eight months after Lisa had vanished without a trace. The detective leading the investigation, Detective Inspector Warren Hines, said, For some time now, we've been piecing together Lisa's last known movements and speaking to friends and associates in a bid to find any clues as to what might have happened to her. Today, we have found nothing to suggest that Lisa had planned to leave or even that she is still alive. Detailed investigation shows that she has not accessed any of her accounts or claimed any benefits since last May, and we strongly suspect that she may have been a victim of crime. Lisa's mother Janet said, All Lisa's family and friends who know her in Burton love her to bits. All we want to do is find out what has happened to her. Even though she can be a bit of a rebel, she is a lovely girl and we will miss her very, very much. Now, this press conference was a last-ditch attempt by the police to find out what had happened to Lisa. As D.I. Hines said, there was no evidence to suggest that she was still alive, but there was no body either. Her family were in limbo, and a public appeal was their last throw of the dice. So this is where I wanted to go off on a bit of a tangent around these benefits, because um, I just don't get this, as you've rightly pointed out, Bethan. So she goes missing on the 9th of May in 2013. Three days later, on the 12th of May, she phones the DWP, asking for the benefits to be paid into a friend's account, that's Kathleen. They continue to be paid until they're stopped in October of 2013. So I think that's five months worth of benefits. And we're talking like five grand's worth of benefits here. I think they were only stopped at this point in October because Lisa had now been officially missing for five months. So somebody, a third party, had finally contacted DWP and said, this person is missing. Stop the benefits payments. Um, But yeah, had the police gone to the DWP during that initial eight-month investigation before they held the press conference, 
they would have basically been able to solve this case pretty quickly, I think, because they would have seen that the payments were now going into Kathleen's account. They would have been able to listen to the phone call purportedly made by Lisa on the 12th of May, and they would have realised that that was actually, of course, made by Kathleen. Yeah, it was her voice on that recording. Yeah, that's what I was thinking recording. the whole time, is like, is it even Lisa? Yeah, of, of course it's Kathleen. And um, yeah, because spoiler alert, Kathleen and Kevin were responsible for Lisa's disappearance. I think you'd probably guess that by now and we'll come on to exactly what happened to Lisa in a moment. But but I just don't know. I don't know whether the police did have this evidence back in 2014 or 13. Um, the, the evidence about the benefits going into Kathleen's account, the recording of the phone call in which Kathleen pretends to be Lisa. But if they did have it, they didn't arrest Kathleen or Kevin at this time. It would actually take another five years before they would be charged with any crime. Five years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And this is what's so frustrating. Like, I just think this is mad because if somebody was doing something fraudulently and claiming benefits that they shouldn't be claiming or you don't file a tax return in time, they are on you like it's ridiculous and yet this has just happened someone's called up and said i need to have my benefits paid into someone else's account and then they go missing and those two things apparently on the surface are not pieced together or if they are pieced together aren't used to further the investigation like that to me is mind-boggling it is crazy all i could think at this time is that The police may have had this evidence, but it just wasn't quite enough. They maybe informally questioned Kathleen. Maybe it just wasn't enough to press any charges at this point, which would have been incredibly frustrating for the police. So I don't know. There's a lot more to this that we don't know, I'm sure, in terms of that eight-month investigation that happened. But actually, when we go back to that press conference that D.I. Hines held eight months after Lisa had disappeared, I think he said then that she'd not been receiving benefits since May. So... That would make me think, well, I don't know, technically she hadn't because Kathleen had been receiving them. But that makes me think, I just don't know. I just Mm. don't know. It's complicated, isn't it? I think because we've been in a kind of world recently where we've talked a lot about modern slavery and people taking advantage of vulnerable people, maybe we're a little bit more attuned to things. And because we've spent a lot of time recently talking and there have been a lot of, of cases coming out and people being rescued since 2013 that potentially more people are aware of things and more people are aware of how they can protect their loved ones or themselves from things like this happening maybe that's why we're seeing things that they didn't see at the time but it feels so frustrating doesn't it and there's was it janet her mum um constantly you know trying her best and not really getting any answers yeah So following that public appeal for information in February 2014, eight months after Lisa had gone missing, Kevin's brother contacted the police to inform them that Kevin had confessed to him that he killed Lisa. When he saw the appeal, so when Kevin's brother saw the appeal, he realised what Kevin had told him was true. And seeing Lisa's mother sat there, not knowing what had happened to her own daughter when he did know, had affected him to the extent that he had to come forward, even though he said he loved his own brother. And I thought, we'll, we'll come on a lot more to this. But isn't that interesting? You know, it's it's one of those that, again, we see quite a lot. How far would you go to protect a, love, a loved one if you knew or suspected they had mm. done something terrible? Yeah. It's a really interesting debate. So really interesting. Perhaps... 
perhaps we'll throw that up on on the Facebook dis- discussion group. Yeah, and that's a good idea. It. I like that idea. So going back to that confession that Kevin had made to his brother, he said that both he and Kathleen had actually killed Lisa because she had confided in them that she was suicidal and wanted to die, but had said that she just didn't have the courage to take her own life, which, if true, makes me incredibly sad. And Kevin said that they collectively decided that he and Kathleen would end Lisa's life for her. Bullshit. No, I don't believe that in the slightest. You're right, of course it's BS. I don't believe that in the slightest. That is so tragic to almost, like, not that it's tarnishing her name, that's the wrong phrase, but I cannot think of a better phrase, but to kind of make up some crap about what she was, that she was involved in it herself. What a, like, a middle finger up to her mum and her family and her friends that would be. Oh, that's horrible. What a horrible, horrible man. Yeah, and uh, we we don't know whether Lisa was depressed, wh- whether she was suicidal at this time. She she might have still been full of hope for the future and desperately clawing, trying to claw her way out of of the pit of despair. So it's really sad to think that if that, well, for a moment that her Janet, for example, and and Lisa's dad may have thought that that might be true, and um, to think that their daughter was so desperately helpless and hopeless in in those last moments that she'd asked to what she considered to be friends to help her to end her life which yeah is just bullshit but yeah um what we do know is that on the evening of the 9th of may in 2013 the last day that lisa was seen alive kathleen and kevin cooked her a meal which they served to her saying it would be her last dinner and then following this so-called last supper they proceeded to drown lisa in the bath so they definitely drowned Jeez. her and i think regardless of whether that's true or not about Lisa being suicidal and Kathleen and Kevin helping her with that, uh, that's bullshit anyway. I I think it is true that they did serve her this dinner and said to her, this is going to be your last dinner. And that was all, you know, if it wasn't true about uh, assisting Lisa in her own suicide, then that was a cruel in-joke that Kathleen and Kevin uh, were having when they served dinner to Lisa that night and said this is your last dinner with Lisa probably looking on a bit baffled what do you mean it's my last dinner because they had already planned to kill her I just think as well when you started saying about the last dinner and things I was kind of thinking we we all know where this is going so potentially they'd poisoned her food or something that was maybe less mm. painful and less violent and then you say, and then they and they drowned her. Like, what the hell? Like, that is so physical and personal. You, that's not even, like, quick. And I, that is just horrific. And that, to me, does not scream of somebody who doesn't know how to take their own life and wants some support. Because somebody who wants to take their own life would maybe overdose. But they say to their friends, you know, be with me or can you help me get the pills or something, maybe I'd then start to believe that that was something she'd ask for their help with. But no, like, what the fuck? That is horrific. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know of, of any uh, anyone who would want to end their life and have that have assistance with that and choose drowning to be no. forcibly drowned in a bath. And you're so, I'm so pleased that you've talked about that way that Lisa's life ended so eloquently because I couldn't have done that and I wanted to just touch on it and I'm not going to say any more other than to echo what you've said it's just it's truly horrific way to die and violent and it's it just fills me with sadness for for Lisa. When police did eventually question Kathleen and Kevin about Lisa's whereabouts they each quite calmly said that she was alive and well 
that she had asked them to transfer her benefits into Kathleen's account and to then withdraw them in cash each week. And that was because Lisa had a new boyfriend, they said, who was called Ian, who would then come and collect the money from them each week for Lisa. And this is the whole point of this. It's keeping up the pretense that Lisa's alive so that the benefits can continue to be paid so that they can continue reaping the rewards. Because if if a body turned up, then the benefits will definitely stop. And so they must have been questioned during that initial um, five months whilst Lisa's benefits were still being paid. And maybe the police just bought what they'd said and and were like, or maybe that was the October and the police were like, oh my God, right, these benefits are being paid into Kathleen's account. We'll go and question them. And the police were probably kind of like, well, we can't really prove this, but maybe Lisa's alive and Mm. we'll just kind of put a stop to the benefits and see if that brings are out of the woodwork yeah so I don't know I know it's frustrating we kind of have to just make educated guesses really with this don't we because it's impossible to know for sure and I really wanted to bring Lisa's story to the fore because this is just not covered and that's because there is limited information and I wanted to tell her story so apologies that there, there are some there is a bit of confusion around how all of this unfolded So Kathleen and Kevin had also sent text messages to their own phones from Lisa's phone in the months following her disappearance. And that, of course, was to keep up the pretense that she was still alive. And of course, text messages to Lisa's mum, Janet's phone, were sent too. So they sent these text messages from Lisa's phone to Janet's phone, as we know, which then prompted Janet to go to the police. And and yeah, it looked like for now that kind of worked for Kathleen and Kevin. Um, so the police didn't didn't do anything really at that time. They didn't take any action. And of course, don't forget, in, in fairness, there was no body, there was no murder weapon, no DNA evidence indicating any crime scene. And I'm sure both the police and the CPS did know that Kathleen and Kevin were responsible for Lisa's disappearance and probable death, but maybe very frustratingly for them at this time, they just had a severe lack of evidence. That's what I like to think. And this really reminds me of the episode that I covered with Ellie when you were on holiday, obviously, Mm. Um, but Carrie Father and very similar. People are getting messages, people are being told all these things and initially the police said to her mum well she's allowed to go missing if she wants and it it was a long long time of and it took new investigative team thinking how can we approach this differently and also pure stupidity on the part of the person who was responsible lots of factors but yeah so so much of it echoes especially these messages where the mum's saying it's not my daughter and um Don't forget, yeah, Lisa was living a bit of a nomadic lifestyle. This perhaps wasn't fully out of character for her to go missing for periods of time. So um, in fairness to the police, I think they they perhaps did everything they could have done at this point. And it's easy with hindsight, isn't it? Um, I'm trying not to to berate them because I just don't know the intricacies of this investigation. And it's also really hard to know like what you can and can't look into, I suppose, as well, isn't it? Like how much can the police look into somebody? I also find, I, I'm sure you'll think, I think you'll know who I'm talking about when I say it, but there's a vulnerable person that we both know of who you may think from the outside, there's no issues, you know, they're absolutely fine. But then we know that there's plenty of issues that, and when they were, um, hadn't come in and we hadn't seen them for a while, we'd contacted, I think I contacted the local council and just sort of said, is there any way that anybody can check, even though you can't tell me anything and basically are they still alive? And it was so helpful for me that the person was able to say, I can't tell you anything about that person, but they're not dead. And 
thank you for being like worried and that sort of thing and but it was really difficult because I was just a random person just ringing up to kind of go I'm a bit worried but I have no basis for the worry and no reason to make a proper report or anything it's, it's so tough isn't it to know where you can and can't go with things like this oh you've got such a heart of gold haven't you haven't I just I don't know I just Modest I feel for well. people I feel for people when they're yeah. in a situation that they just can't can't get themselves out of yeah and particularly when they're vulnerable so whether that's as a result of an addiction or additional needs that they have it's um that those people really do need looking out for by everybody really and Mm. as as you proved when you you phoned the council you know that was just somebody that would come into work and um, then we didn't see all of a sudden so So the police didn't give up and neither, of course, did Lisa's devoted mother and also her father. Six years after Lisa had vanished without a trace, the police came knocking for Kathleen and Kevin. And I always love it when this happens, Mm -hmm. when time passes and the perpetrators must really think that they've gotten away with their crime, like the Golden State Killer last week. I mean, what was that, like 30 years from his first major offence to being unmasked? 40 years, crazy. And I really do think that with each year that passes by without them being apprehended, they must just feel that bit more secure and they must hit certain milestones when it's like 10 years, 20 years that being caught they must then start to think i'm never going to be caught now i have literally got away with murder and then bang there's a knock at the door and their time's up and when they're least expecting it and i just love that i also though a little bit of me hopes that every time they hear a knock at the door and they're not expecting someone that their blood runs cold a little bit i really hope that i get what you're saying and i do think they must be starting to feel that bit more secure and of course they would because they're getting further and further away from time and longer time has passed and evidence degrades etc etc but I also really hope that they have that horrible chill of oh fuck is it oh no it's just the milkman and I also think whenever they must hear on the news about advances in DNA science Mm -hmm. I wonder if that sends a chill down their spine of oh shit you know I, I didn't really know about DNA back in yeah. 1986 when I murdered this woman and uh, yeah it, it might have degraded over that time but with advances it might be that they can build a DNA profile now when they couldn't before or when they see reports of a cold case being reopened they might think when's my case going to be reopened mm-hmm. and also just going off on a complete tangent if you think about it in the normal course of your life over say a 10 year period you might come into contact with the police once or twice so I have what they've pulled me over for example they thought I was drink driving which I absolutely wasn't I'd never do that but I was I'd seen a police car behind me and had got all like nervous oh, thinking oh shit you and, doesn't it yeah it made me all flustered and then all of a sudden I'm like shaking the sit steering wheel and driving all over the place <laughs> and they pulled they pulled me over and I suppose I knew why but if you might get the police knock at your door and say there's been a, a robbery two streets down. We're just kind of checking if, if you, we're doing door-to-door inquiries. Have you seen anything? So there must be a time when these people come into contact with the police completely innocently and maybe there's a knock at the door and it's the police and then they're thinking, oh my God, my time's up. And then they realise actually it's to do with a burglary mm-hmm. two streets away or whatever. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, the police did come knocking for Kathleen and Kevin and they were actually both charged with Lisa's murder on the 25th of May in 2019. And they were also charged with the concealment of her body, which has still never been found, and also with the benefit fraud as well. And, yeah, I just want to make it clear at this point that there was still no body at this time. The body has never been found. Um, But in the years preceding Kevin and Kathleen's arrest, police had obtained further evidence which proved that they had both sent messages from Lisa's phone after she'd gone missing, purporting to be from her. So that there was more evidence that did come to light which made this sort of watertight in the end and allowed them to make arrests and, and proceed with this to, to the CPS. Somewhat miraculously, this gruesome pair were granted conditional bail while they awaited their trial, which was set for September of 2019 and was due to take place at Birmingham Crown Court. In a pre-trial hearing, Kathleen pleaded not guilty to all charges and Kevin pleaded guilty to the concealment of Lisa's body and also to the fraud charges but denied murder. So I think this was where he came up with that story at this point of Lisa wanted to take her own life and we did assist her with that. Um, Yeah, I think that's where that came from. And I think there was a bit of confusion at this time as well as to whether Lisa had taken an overdose. So there's no body, so they don't know how Lisa had died. So he may have been saying she she just took an overdose, so the, the death is nothing to do with me. Or he may have been saying it was an assisted suicide. And I suppose you've only got his brother's story of a second-hand story as well, so... Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The four-week trial finally began on the 2nd of September in 2019. Opening for the prosecution, Simon Dennison QC said, Lisa died in their Kathleen and Kevin's flat on or around May the 9th, 2013. Her body has never been found. She has no grave. The prosecution case is that the defendants murdered her and then callously disposed of her body in the communal bins opposite their flat, where it lay undiscovered before the bins were emptied and the contents were taken to the council waste disposal facility a few days later. There, her body was incinerated with the community's waste. What they did, we suggest, was carry out a plan. To kill her, to conceal her body so it wouldn't be found, to lie and lie and lie in pretending that she was still alive and to take her money for themselves. He added, it is an almost inhuman thing to do, is it not? To treat not just a human body, but the body of someone they knew as a piece of rubbish to be thrown away. And yeah, this is how they disposed of Lisa's body. They dumped it in a wheelie bin where it lay for days, I think six days, until it was collected and then incinerated. And this was in May. It could have been hot. And her body was, I'm sorry to say, this rotting out there. And they were also incredibly lucky to not be found out at this point because all it would have taken is for somebody to open that wheelie bin and they'd wrapped the body, not very carefully, but they'd wrapped it in something, in a blanket or whatever. But the smell of it, I think, would have been enough if a neighbour had opened it to put some rubbish in there, or if the binman had had to had struggled in emptying the bin. I know it's all done with a machine and stuff, but they could have easily been uncovered at this point, and they weren't. They they totally got away with it. I definitely agree with the prosecution's description of this as inhuman. You think about the fact that even certain animals will hold some sort of reverence for their dead other animal like an elephant they all congregate don't they around the body and I know like crows basically do as well and 
I'm sure many, many other animals do. The fact that even animals can have compassion for another version of themselves being died is just mad that these people could not only kill her, but just chuck her in the bin. I mean, that is horrific. There's just no reverence to her or or anything. It's just, she's an afterthought. It's just horrific. It's That just makes me so sad that you're right. We see more compassion in, in the animal kingdom than we saw with this pair. Prosecutor Simon Dennison QC went on to outline the pair's motive for killing Lisa to the jury. He said it was all about money. Kathleen and Kevin had wanted to divert Lisa's state benefits into their own coffers, in particular to support their drug taking. He said they were intimately involved in Lisa's financial affairs and had visited pawn shops with her and also had access to all of her personal details. He said their lives revolved around money, the next benefit check and how to fund their next fix. And again, I just want to point out at this point, um, what they did was abhorrent. It's absolutely appalling. It makes me incredibly sad and it upsets me. But there is, I, I can't deny it, there's, there's a tiny element of compassion from me to these two people uh, for the awful addiction that they suffered and, and why they suffered that as well. Of course, it doesn't ever justify what they did to Lisa. It in no way justifies that. I'm talking completely separate to that. I just have a small amount of compassion that they too had had uh, endured a horrendous life, uh, that they were self-medicating with heroin to to get through it. But what they did to Lisa is separate yeah, to that. And it's I think absolutely that's fair, appalling. Though. You can absolutely still feel sad for what brought them to that point because they're not down and out pure and simple like we talked about the golden state killer before because that's a recent episode full and full on just a psychopath who's just going around doing such and such it's they've done this there's a means to an end it's it's abhorrent to me and you because we see it from the position that we're in in our lives where we don't have these addictions that are over you know taking completely over us and actually if one of us really needed something we have a number of people we could reach out to if we needed money for something we both would have numerous people that yes it might be quite embarrassing or quite ashamed sort of feeling to go to we could do it and we have that opportunity that if i turned to you and said actually i've started taking heroin and i'm a heroin addict and i need to go for treatment blah 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 you you would be supportive. These two are kind of as bad as each other and getting to a point. Like you said, of course it in no way justifies anything, but I don't think anybody listening would think that we're justifying it. But it is, it's another another victim of the, the whole case, isn't it? It's a, a lesser victim, but another victim. Completely agree. The recording of Kathleen contacting the DWP by phone three days after Lisa was last seen alive was played to the jury and as I said I've listened to part of it and I have to say my overriding takeaway was just how calm and collected and confident Kathleen sounds when she talks to this DWP representative and you need to just bear in mind at this time Lisa's body is still in that wheelie bin opposite Kathleen's flat at the very moment she is speaking to the DWP and she just sounds composed, natural and normal. And that's what what really concerns me. She doesn't sound like an addict. She doesn't sound like someone who drowned somebody in the bath three days earlier. She doesn't sound like somebody desperate for her next fix. She just sounds totally normal. Absolutely oh, see, normal. See, now I'm starting to kind of 
go back on my not just a psychopath sort of comment because that is incredibly cold. It really is cold and that, that that did raise a lot of questions for me but there's something else that I will tell you in a moment that will make you see it from another side again. It's a Oh, you're really, yeah, it is, isn't it? This is, um, it's not, it does prove, doesn't it? Nothing in the world is black and white. No, you need to see it from every angle and it's complex. At the end of the four-week trial on the 11th of December in 2019, both Kathleen and Kevin were convicted of Lisa's murder and, of course, of concealing her body, preventing lawful burial, and also of the fraud charges pertaining to obtaining Lisa's benefits. In sentencing this wicked pair, actually, just before I say that, I just want to let you know that um, they didn't attend the sentencing, so neither of them attended sentencing. So they didn't even bother to I mean obviously that is that's your right you can be sentenced and not be there to hear it but to not even face up to that and stand there and and take your your punishment as as an adult as a human that makes me think like quite pathetic really I don't like that it is pathetic I think Kathleen couldn't attend because she wasn't well and I feel like she attended either the trial or the sentencing or both uh, she attended actually from her bed in prison via video link. Oh, okay. But certainly Kevin, Kevin certainly didn't attend the sentencing and, and maybe not the trial. And actually of, of that, Mrs. Justice Carr DBE commented, both of them have refused and waived their right to attend. Neither has the courage to face the court or the full consequences of their actions in public, or in particular, the courage of uh, to face Lisa Bennett's family. Yeah. Which um, I was really pleased that she said that. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be pleased to, to hear. <laughs> I'm sure be glad to to know that Mark Randall thinks that that's good. I of her. approve. But no, I do think that that's um. I like it when you hear from a sentencing judge who is actually quite scathing. I think that's quite um impressive, and I I always quite appreciate it when they make a point of something. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on to just talk a little bit more about um what she said in sentencing them when when she um summed up uh her the case and 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 gave her remarks. So she said that both Kathleen and Kevin engaged in a sophisticated web of lies in order to pretend that Lisa was alive, so that they could divert police attention away from them, so that they could then continue to take the benefit money for themselves. And she said, quote, with breathtaking cruelty, they sent false texts, not only to Lisa Bennett's own number, but also to Lisa's contacts, and in particular to her mother, suggesting that Lisa Bennett was still alive. Whilst Kevin Flanagan sent most of the texts, I am sure from their content and style, and as Kevin Flanagan stated, that Kathleen Salmond also sent some of the false texts and would have been aware of Kevin's actions as he was aware of hers. They were both well-versed in using Lisa Bennett's telephone number when they wanted or needed to. And in referring to Lisa's mother's victim impact statements, the judge went on to say, It is clear from the telephone schedules and the evidence of Lisa Bennett's mother that despite all of their differences, Mrs Bennett adored her daughter. She and Lisa Bennett's father have sat through every day of this trial. As she puts it, she loved Lisa with all of her heart. They were in frequent contact and Mrs Bennett would send her money from time to time. She hoped that her daughter would be able to turn her life around. That chance was taken away from her. Lisa was a kind, caring, loving and generous person who went down the wrong track. When Lisa Bennett disappeared, her mother's anxiety is evident from the number of text messages and attempts to call her daughter in the following days and months. 
Mrs. Bennett says that she was living in hope that Lisa was still alive and well. In the end, nothing could be worse than being murdered. But for Lisa Bennett, there was more. Her body was thrown away like a piece of rubbish. Her family has not been able to bury her, have a grave to visit, or even a place to go and talk to Lisa Bennett. No length of time will change the heartache that Mrs. Bennett feels, and of course her other, her wider family as well. Doesn't she just sum that up so perfectly? Yeah, absolutely. It's really showing that it's not just this one specific crime. No, it's it's the lack of closure for them, uh, and and the anxiety that that um, Lisa's mother endured in the months following her disappearance, and those text messages that Kathleen and Kevin were sending from Lisa's phone to her mum were just—it was just so cruel. There was a real element of cruelty in that, but equally, I understand why they did it to cover themselves. But it was so cruel. Mm. It further came to light in the judge's sentencing remarks that Kathleen had actually attempted suicide just two months after murdering Lisa. And this is the bit that I found really interesting. Mm. Um, I'm not sure what she did. I'm not sure how she attempted suicide, but she endured really horrific injuries as a result that um, were life-changing for her and that's why she couldn't attend court in person every day and why she attended some of it via video link from her hospital bed and she was largely confined to a wheelchair when this came to trial and yeah it just made me kind of think you know you listen to this phone call three days after she's murdered Lisa which is on the internet and she's cool calm and collected But then two months on from that phone call, she attempts suicide. Now, was that as a result of the guilt at at what she had done or was it as as a result of something else? Listening to the phone call, you kind of think it can't be guilt at what she had done because just three days after she had killed Lisa, she sounded like she didn't have a care in the world. Um but it could be, it could be that it just kind of caught up with her and and she couldn't live with herself, perhaps. It's a very interesting twist to it all. It is. Um, On the 13th of December in 2019, Kathleen and Kevin were both sentenced. uh, Why the fuck have I put Paul? Kevin (laughs) to 32 years and Kathleen to 27 years. And although both equally culpable for this crime or these crimes, there were mitigating factors in Kathleen's sentencing. So the judge took into account her ailing health. Kathleen suffered from incomplete tetraplegia due to a cervical spinal cord injury following that suicide attempt in July of 2013. And although she had power and movement in her upper arms, her fingers were left in a kind of tight grip and um, the sensation in her upper arms was also quite variable. Kathleen also had a heart pacemaker and she suffered from low blood pressure. And in addition to this, she suffered from bowel problems and recurrent chest and urine infections. And another doctor said that she was suffering from mixed anxiety and depressive disorders. So there's this real catalogue of health problems. Some of them would have been before that suicide attempt a couple of months after she'd murdered Lisa. Some of them would have been uh, after that suicide attempt as a result of it. And I wanted to go into some detail here because all of this is relevant because just 12 months after Kathleen was sentenced to 27 years in prison for killing Lisa, she was dead herself. On the 11th of January in 2021, Kathleen died in HMP Foston in Derbyshire of Covid. Well, so because she, she was more vulnerable, she then I guess succumbed so. to something that can, you know, it's more deadly for somebody who's vulnerable. I think it's very interesting because obviously being an addict as well, 
how much of her health problems specifically are due to a suicide attempt or or a life that of she's, addiction you know yeah. a life of addiction has then brought her to this point i find it very interesting i don't know how i i can't quite work out how i feel about whether or not she should have a lighter sentence just because she's got a lot of injury illnesses and injuries does that make any sense i don't i can't work out what i think about that because I almost think that should be completely separate, a bit like how you don't get to hear about someone's previous crimes. They are on trial for the specific crime. The jury doesn't know that they did this six times prior. They have to listen to the evidence. I kind of personally think it doesn't matter. Genuinely doesn't matter. It's so hard, isn't it? Yeah, I'm kind of guessing that um, Mrs Justice Carr, DBE, would have sentenced Kathleen had she had perfect health to the same sentence or maybe even more actually than uh than Kevin because Kathleen didn't actually plead guilty to concealing yeah. the body and to the fraud charges which Kevin did so so she may have even been sentenced to more but I think what's knocking off five or so years gonna do when her health is that bad but I read the whole sentencing remarks and I think it's like a six-page document and Mrs Justice Card does go into quite a lot of detail around uh, Kathleen's health and why she she's using that as mitigating factors and it it's just something that they do basically it's they, it's they look at thing. yeah and they, they don't they, they kind of just assume that the health care that somebody would receive in prison would be substandard to the care that they would perhaps receive on on the outside or that ultimately that life in prison for somebody with with severe disabilities as would be the case or would have been the case for Kathleen is a lot fucking harder than 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 somebody mm-hmm. who doesn't have those disabilities and also maybe Kathleen's life expectancy regardless of the fact that she ended up dying in 2021 we didn't know that was going to happen but maybe Kathleen's life expectancy would have been reduced as a result of um her disabilities and and that was reflected in the sentencing yeah because I suppose you wouldn't sentence a 90 year old for the same sentence as a 20 year old because of how long they've got left and that side of things I suppose no, and I've seen that, but I've definitely seen that before yeah, when we have. elderly people have been sentenced for murder, for example. They, they're not always sentenced to, to long, long sentences. Mm. So, yeah, so it's interesting, but equally it's kind of academic because, as I said, Kathleen died in prison of COVID just 12 months into her sentence. So, After the trial, Detective Chief Inspector Jim Munro said, Kathleen and Kevin preyed on a vulnerable woman who was trying to turn her life around They abused the trust that she put in them. We believe they were motivated by greed and the money they could get from Lisa's benefits. They have still shown no remorse for what they have done. Lisa's mum has fought hard for justice over the last six years and her family have endured years of not knowing what happened to her. Sadly, they will never be able to lay her to rest. I hope now they can find some comfort knowing that the pair responsible for the murder have been brought to justice. Lisa's mother Janet paid tribute to her daughter in a statement released by the police. She said, Not a day goes by without me thinking of Lisa, and I find myself at times talking to her. This is what's kept me going. There are lots of people who loved Lisa and knew her for who she really was, a kind, caring, loving and generous person who went down the wrong track. Lisa was vulnerable and trusted the wrong people who quite clearly took advantage of her. They have robbed me of the right to lay my daughter to rest, a place to go and visit, talk to her and grieve. I'm sure she is in a better place now and happy with no more pain. 
I rejoice in the fact that I have now got justice for Lisa and perhaps can finally move on with my life. And I just, this is a real tribute to Lisa and the person that she was and the person that she absolutely could have gone on to be. And also a real tribute to Janet and and the lovely words that she spoke about her daughter and the fight that she led in, in getting justice. So yeah, incredibly sad case. Really sad, really horrible. And, but yeah, nice to to remember to kind of remember her and have that memorial for her of her mum's words. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So R.I.P. Lisa, a life that that was on the brink of of being turned around and and being lived and starting over. Yeah. So thank you for listening, and we will see you with another episode next week. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.